Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. There is something beautiful when the body is able, when the body, I don't mean this body, when the body is able to minister together. And that is kind of in keeping, I guess, when in what we're talking about today. So we're going to, at the end of the service, and, and I just think it's a wonderful segue, having water baptism testifying to that I no longer live and am mastered by the law of sin. That's what it's saying. I'm no longer lived by or am I mastered by the law of sin. By the way, if you do not have Christ in you, his Holy Spirit, through invitation of your surrender, his forgiveness, acknowledging him and receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life, then you are mastered by sin. Sin is your master. But in Christ, no longer is sin your master. He has broken the bonds, you know, the chain breaker. He has broken the bonds of sin. Now, if you choose to sin, you choose to sin. But you no longer are compelled to sin. You're free. He who is in you, finish it for me, is he who's in you is greater. His Holy Spirit, there's, there's a, a text, know you not, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is not a temple, this is a building that we're in today, brick and mortar. One day it, will, it won't be here, one day. But now you, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We were talking about this earlier in the service. So honor him in your body. We will shed this body one day. Some of us are excited about that. Others not so much. But we will shed this body one day. We'll have a different body. A body without corruption. A body without decay. And his Holy Spirit is meant to flow and work and exercise his goodness through this body in the time that he's given us. So... I want you to go, we've been on a journey with John, following John to the heart of Jesus. There are notes for you. There's a QR code up here if you want to just, if you take your phone, click on that. It'll download notes. You can follow on the notes this morning. We welcome you to do that. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2? We're in the letters of John, 1 John chapter 2. And then at the end of our time together, we're going to gather around the Lord's table, time of communion, fellowship with each other. So, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to, again, the series is following John to the heart of Jesus. We're not doing a verse by verse. We are looking at the person, John. John, show us what motivated you, what ministered to you, what caused you to be the one to constantly refer to yourself as the one whom Jesus loved. So, we've already looked at the Gospel of John now, we're looking into the epistles of John. We looked last week, and the first chapter was really talking about how do you ignite your joy? How do you fire up the joy of Christian living? And that was chapter one. And largely, it came around a couple of things. It came around when you attend to the foundation of God's Word. God's Word gives joy. It's not meant to be legalistic. It's not meant to be, oh, I've got to do my devotions today. It is bread for life. It is a drink of water for the parched, his word. And sometimes there has to be a reapproach of our attitude as we go to his word and then begin to not read his word, we begin to eat of his word. 
and I don't mean literally, like you don't chew on the paper, but you take his word and you let, you let it speak to your heart. We don't dictate the word's meaning, so we should never be saying, here's what I, I think God is saying. We need to be saying, God, what is it you are actually saying? We don't interpret his word. His word interprets itself. We follow and align our lives to his word. Secondly is fellowship. We had the word koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. It's not like go to the Blue Jays, go Blue Jays, go. Um, it's not that, you know, a bunch of people together. You think that's fellowship. The fellowship means that we together share mutually our affections and our challenges in the faith. And this is something that now, you know, and we've had some tough times in the last couple of years. Now to move forward and to share together, to have people a part of our lives. You know, you, you will be in 100% agreement with yourself if you ever never bring another person in on the conversation. But you need to bring somebody else in because they help you. In you working through the fruit of the Spirit, you will learn patience, you will learn long-suffering, you will demonstrate kindness when you don't want to, all that stuff. You need others to do that. You need, I need others to grow. I have to have others to grow. If I isolate myself, that's to my detriment. Today, chapter 2, we talked last week of, of igniting your joy. Today we're talking about living a life that matters. So let's just open our time of prayer. Father, we just ask that you would help us to understand what John was experiencing and sharing here because we are a couple thousand years removed. Lord, help us to see this as John intended it and Holy Spirit, show us how we can grow by it, we pray. In your name we ask, amen. That's uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If we have the text up here, let's go to the text. Can we read it together aloud? Everybody, would you join with me in reading this? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, note the first part. It says, my dear children. John is... You get, he's, he's growing older in age, and he is looking upon those that he has been working with as a dad would to a child, as a mother to a child, as a grandparent to a child. Not bemeaning, he is looking at them as an extension of himself. So when he says, my dear children, that's a very affectionate term. John was in touch with his feelings. When I, when I read through the stories of John, I think he was in touch with his feelings. He learned what it was, and of course he was probably the youngest of the 12, but he learned what it was to be able to express himself and to receive God not just between the ears, but also in his heart. And so that's why we've chosen to follow John. We've, I've not said follow Paul to the heart of Jesus. I could have, and it would be a great study. But Paul was a little bit of a different. He was a bit more of a theologian. He was a bit of an apologist. He's the one who framed our doctrine. But he didn't frame it because he thought this was good doctrine. He framed already the teachings of the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and then he framed it as to how this looks in the context of the body growing together. So we didn't make that our study. We made John because John was this, this disciple who had these great highs and horrific lows. And following John to the heart of Jesus, John didn't want just a relationship with Jesus 
He really felt he needed to know. He was the one who Jesus at the Last Supper, he put his head on Jesus' shoulder. Now, that was really unusual. That was really on so many levels. First level, guys didn't do that. Like, I'm not going to put my head on your shoulder, guys. And I kind of like, you really want to put your head on my shoulders. It was weird, okay? Guys don't do that normally. But secondly, John put his head on the shoulder of Jesus because it was a picture of a father, a son, a parent, a child. And when he wanted to talk to Jesus, he didn't feel that there was this gap. He could just lean on Jesus. I used an expression, Jesus is leanable. I'm not even sure if that's good English. I did not, but Jesus is leanable. You can lean on Jesus. And John had no problems with that. He wasn't, his masculinity was being threatened by it. And I admire him. So, the second chapter, John is talking, how do we live a life that really matters? So this text here starts off chapter 2. My dear children, very endearing, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, if we just stopped there, it was like, okay, we can never forever conquer sin. But the very next word, I've always been taught that in a sentence, if somebody puts the word but in there, in many ways, but erases everything just previously said. Right? Kind of interesting. So watch where a but is dropped in because that then excuses everything you just spoke about. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there at 11 o'clock, but, in other words, I'm not necessarily going to be there at 11 o'clock. I just put a but in there. So here you have, my dear children, I write you this so that you do not sin, but, there it is, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's righteous. He will never sin. No ifs, ands, or buts. He will never sin. We have an advocate. He is, he is pure through and through. What, when he says if there, where he says, but if any, if does not give permission, it literally means provided or on the condition you sin. So on the condition you do sin, there is one righteous. Don't let sin continue to carry you down the path. When you recognize it, you turn to the righteous one and find freedom from your sin. Isn't that a good word? So that takes, all, that takes a lot of pressure off right there. It takes this legalism off. So how do we live a life that matters to God? Well, there was a survey in the Discipleship Journal. Readers ranked areas of greatest spiritual challenge to them. And here was the listing of the greatest spiritual challenges to them. The highest spiritual challenge out of this survey, number one, materialism was the number one challenge. Materialistic, wanting things. The second was pride. Number three was self-centeredness. The fourth was laziness. And then tied for the fifth was anger and sexual lust. They were tied as the next greatest spiritual challenge. The next was envy and gluttony. And then the next was lying. Uh, and that's the one I'll stop at, lying. And the survey respondents noted temptations were more potent when they had neglected their time with God. They said, 81% of them said that they tended to fall into temptation when they, 81% 
said when they neglected time with God, so if they weren't regimented in their time with God, 81% said that's when they fell, and 57% said they tended to fall when they were tired. When they were tired. Watch the tiredness. Because it also becomes an excuse. You're just tired, and so you let your guard down. So John, the great disciple, knew that if we were to follow him, we needed to deal with some of the things when it came to sin. Thus he started, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. So he's starting off by saying, sin is a problem. Sin will derail you in your faith on so many different levels. I uh, shared a message uh, back here. Um, actually, it was during the pandemic. I did it on a vlog, a series of vlogs. And I talked of 20 reasons why you shouldn't sin. <laughs> 20 reasons. It's not one or two. There's a lot of reasons why you don't sin. Right from it steals your time. It steals your joy. It steals your family. It steals so many. It's a, it's a robber. It's a thief. Sin. And he says, I write this so you will not sin. Four things I want to make mention here this morning. Number one, how do we keep from sinning? Number one, attend the sanctuary. Attend the sanctuary. John had access to Davidic writings from the book of Psalms. And attend the sanctuary is one of the things that John would have been very aware of. In Psalms chapter 84, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. As we dwell in the house of the Lord, praise will continue to be rising from your spirit. Not materials things, but praise as I dwell in the house of the Lord. It is vitally important for our spiritual lives that we be faithful in our attendance to the house of God. I'm going to say that again. It is vitally important for our spiritual lives that we be faithful in our attendance to the house of God. David, King David, knew the importance of attending to the sanctuary. He valued it. He loved it. He was a great king whose heart was after God. Psalms 23, verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, there it is again, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I dwell there. Notice he didn't say I visit, I knock once in a while, I go once or twice a month. He says, I find my dwelling there. Psalms 55, 14. With whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked about among the worshipers. The very first thing, attend. You want to live a life that matters, you need to attend. The body of Christ needs the body of Christ. Secondly, avoid the situations. The situations. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, reject every kind of evil. Reject it. The word reject means to hold oneself off. To hold, to hold back from. Hold yourself back from every kind of evil. I came across an illustration. It was kind of humorous. I thought it was anyway. On the TV show, it was way back in the yesteryear. Hee-haw. Doc Campbell is confronted by a patient who wants the doctor to respond to him. The patient comes up to Doc Campbell he broke his arm in two places. So he comes to the doc and says, I broke my arm in two places. And the doc replies, well, then stay out of them places. Okay, I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> listen, 
He may have something there. We cannot regularly put ourselves in the face of temptation and not be affected. You will be. There's things I do not allow near me because I don't trust my flesh. And so avoid the situations. What are your situations? Avoid them. You need to avoid those situations. So if you're prone to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. Avoid the situations. Stay out of them places. You think of the story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And Eve was tempted and she partook from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she took of the fruit. Now I have a question for you. Do you ever think that her proximity to the tree made it easier for the devil to get her attention? She had a whole garden. Why was she anywhere near that tree? If she was far from the tree, the devil can't get her looking at it. Why is it in our lives we flirt with the very things that take you down? Classic stories in the book of Judges. Samson, he fell. Why did he fall? He flirted around the things that were his downfall. So in our lives, let's just don't do it. People say, well, I have a right. You have a right. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. But the Holy Spirit implores us. Flee from those things. Stay far away. I honestly believe if Eve, was, if Eve was a kilometer or farther from the tree, she wouldn't have partaken of the fruit, at least not that day. She was tempted because of her proximity to the temptation. She needed to remove herself from it as quickly as possible. I've heard so many stories. I don't want to take a lot of time. I remember a guy, he, was, um, uh, he had a whole addicted to porn, uh, whole sexual issue going on in his life, and his marriage had blown up. His, his children were going in every different direction. He was a trucker. Now, that's a tough business if, because you really have to keep yourself pure. Uh, he was a trucker, and, and he had a problem with prostitutes. I remember him telling me this. I was young, uh, but I was his pastor. And I was like, why did you do this? I was asking him questions. What made you ever Think that you could do this. And he says, well, God has called me. Here's, here it was. God has called me to minister to the prostitutes. And I start right off there, man. Man, okay. No. Not that you can't. But not you. Not you. You can't minister to the prostitutes. You got to keep far from that. Because he had a delusion that this was a part of his man. I had another person who uh, never conquered alcohol. And it was a major problem, alcoholic. And, uh, but, but they really felt God called them to witness to people in the bars. Okay, keep far from it. You've got to avoid the situation. Somebody might be able to go into a bar and be able to minister to somebody and truly be there and help them in, their, in, in wherever they are to lead them into a better tomorrow with Christ. But not you. Okay, avoid the situation. That's what John was talking about. So when he's talking here, he says... Uh, with this whole, uh, if you sin, you have an advocate. We need to avoid those situations. Reject every kind of evil. Let's continue. Number three, assimilate the scriptures. Assimilate means to convert. We are to convert the scripture to our living. The scripture has got to go from words to life application. That's why I personally, when I have devotion time. I have a, a scribbler beside me. And when I read down the text, 
I will write certain parts of the text in the margin, and then I will go to those margins, and then I will turn that into my prayer for me. I've converted what was spoken into, God, you're speaking to Wayne today. You're not speaking to them, 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 them. It's me you want to talk to. I convert. It's so important to convert the Scripture to our living. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's so important that we just don't learn. We need to know how to apply it. What are you showing me in the things that I am reading? Convert it. Somebody said this, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Number four, approach the Savior. In the survey I mentioned earlier, resisting temptation, those that could resist it was accomplished by, and here's what they said, how do you resist temptation? 84% said you got to have a regular prayer life. You got to lift it before the Lord. Regular prayer life. And 76 said, 76% said you got to avoid compromising situations. We talked about that. 66% you got to be regular in Bible studies. Um, and 52% said you got to be accountable to someone outside of yourself and your family. Got to be accountable to someone. Hold yourself in accountability. I want to go back to that first one where it says, uh, 84 says to resist temptation is accomplished by prayer. Uh, and that place of prayer is, I find for myself, has to be first thing in the morning for me. Can't be at the end of the day. First thing in the morning where I consciously go through a bit of a list. And my list involves um, my mind. So early in the morning, uh, in the mornings, I'm, I'm asking, Lord, um, guard my thoughts. And I will not allow my thoughts just to wander. I choose, I choose to bring my thoughts into captivity to you, Jesus. I actually pray those prayers. I pray the prayers over my hands. And I, I Lord, I pray my fingers, my hands today will not wander and touch in an unworthy manner. And my mouth. And, and go through. There was, used to be an old song back when I was a child. Some of you know it. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Careful, little hands, what you touch. And, and it was a good song. It's, it's good if you start off early in the day and just, God, I commit these things. And now nudge me. Give me a flick. Every time I begin to wander from that, every time I begin to get too close, I begin to flirt, because the Holy Spirit will. If we are attentive to him, he will reveal that. And this is what, when we, when we come to this part here where he talks about where we are to, uh, the word get inside us, and then it comes out, that as we approach the Savior, we need to make sure prayer is about the things that maybe we struggle with the most. So approach the Savior. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Come near, he said. Our God is not a God who says, you're dirty, I'm good, you stay away. He's a God who says, you come to me and find rest. You come to me and I'll take the ugly that you have and wash you. That's a great God. Let us draw near with a true heart. James chapter 4, verse 7. Can we read this together? James 4, 7, with one voice aloud, everybody. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Great word. So how do I keep from sinning? As John said in chapter 2, verse 1, attend the sanctuary, avoid the situations, assimilate the scriptures, and then approach the Savior. I want to close with this text. I'm not going to spend time on it. But this is a great one. We're going to stop right here. It's 1 John 2, 15. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Can we go down? Um, I'm just going to ask my uh, visual person. Can you go down under point number one? You will see it in the message. Go down. We're going to read it from the message. And so if you can go down to the message where it says, don't love the world's way. Do we have that? Okay. Can we read this together? This is from the message. And we're going to close with this text right here. So with one voice, can you read together? Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. I like the way the message said that. I like what it says. So don't love the world's good. Love of the world squeezes out the Father. We want to close with that one. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.